Hello and welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast. I am your host, Michael Sherlock. Each one of us holds great potential, and tapping into that potential is my passion and my mission. Shock Your Potential is a global leadership training company dedicated to creating positive, productive, and profitable workplaces. We develop, nurture, train, and guide leaders at all levels and at all points in their career. Through this podcast, I get to interview amazing leaders who are shocking their own potential and the potential of those around them. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com. And don't forget to check out my two best-selling books, Tell Me More, How to Ask the Right Questions and Get the Most Out of Your Employees, and Sales Mixology, Why the Most Potent Sales and Customer Experiences Follow a Recipe for Success. Join us now as we meet another great guest. And don't forget, subscribe, rate, and like us today. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Shock Your Potential. And not only am I excited about this guest and her topic, which is about coping, connecting, and communicating during crisis, but I have a whole bunch of other questions to ask her about another part of her former life. And I, since I have her you know, locked in here and she can't leave, hopefully she'll answer some of them. So joining me today is Robin Hatcher and her company is called Speak Etc. Now, you know, in addition to being a speaker, a trainer, working with people in terms of coaching them on communication strategies and personal branding and teamwork, you know that it gets serious when I actually read something verbatim from the bio, and here it goes. And I'm not even doing it with my glasses on. <laughs> Robin is a recovering, in quotation marks, actor and writer for two daytime dramas. Her experience in the entertainment industry, plus her training as a certified neuro-linguistic programming practitioner, and I need some speech therapy for that one, gives her a unique combination of fun, creative tools, and fascinating scientific research that will help us really understand how do we do all these things in terms of cope, connect, and communicate during crisis. So joining me today is Robin. Thank you for being a part of our podcast, Robin. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I won't get into all those other details yet, so we'll start with the business stuff a little bit. But tell us a little bit about your business and how do you help people to shock their potential? Yeah, I love that shock, the potential, because what I used to say is that I, I take high performers and turn them into high, high potential and turn them into high performers, because mm. it's really so important, because you've got the potential, but you're not always performing up to par. And how I do it is like, just like you were talking about, that combination of all of these things, because the mindset is so incredibly important about how you reach your potential. So one of the things that I like to do with my businesses, whether it's individual one-on-one coaching or for training in corporations where I work with teams or or the entire organization, or if I'm just on stage giving a, a speech to a group or an association or something like that, I like them to shock their potential by understanding the brain science behind why we communicate the way that we are communicating. Because it's Mm -hmm. really, really important to know because so many times we beat ourselves up or we beat somebody else up (laughs) (laughs) or physically because they're not getting us. They don't understand. They're this, they're that, they're that. 
you know, and it's so not about that. I mean, sometimes it's about that, but it's so about the way that our brains process information and the way that our brain has evolved. So what I love to do is like show them what the evolution is to what, how our brain manages itself, how it takes inform information, how it strives to just survive. Mm -hmm. And um, that's its main purpose in life. And by then, just showing them what else is inside. You know, it's like so many people have things inside that they're just covering up or don't even realize. One of the favorite things, and I'll stop talking because I can go out and... <laughs> <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> but one of my favorite acronyms is for fear. You know, we've heard so many different acronyms from fear, false evidence appearing real and all that. But what mm -hmm. I like to say is fear is failure to envision an alternate reality. Ooh. And so how I shock people into their potential is by making them see and helping them see an alternate reality for themselves, for their businesses, and for their colleagues. It is, gosh, so many just pearls of wisdom within there. And I was thinking when you started out and you said, you know, mindset matters. And I use this statement all the time. In fact, I was just doing a series of interviews uh, with our, our local media about, you know, how do people get back to work? And, you know, what do you do when there's only so many jobs? Maybe there used to be 10 at your company and now there's five. And so as I was going through, I always start out with mindset matters. Because yeah. if you go in feeling afraid, feeling nervous, those things sabotage you from the inside out. And oh, to oh. gain control over it takes a conscious effort to mm -hmm. say, I will not let my mind go down that path. I'm right. going to recognize when it does and I'm going to stop it. I'm going to yeah. surround myself with positive people. You know, th those elements that will keep you reali realizing and recognizing how important, what impact your mind does have on, right. on your reality. Right. And just imagining a better reality because we've all heard it and most of us has heard it, hopefully, is that our mind has a very difficult time distinguishing what's in the imagination and what's in reality. So if we imagine an, a, a situation or a workplace that is more congenial, that is more open, that is more collaborative, then the mind will believe you. It's like, oh right. yeah, right, we're having a great time. It's like, yeah, and then it's like, so, oh, that person said that, oh, they didn't really mean it that way. I'm gonna reframe it. And I'm going to reframe it in a way that's a little bit more positive. And no, it doesn't mean that you're a Pollyanna and that you're going to be walked over or anything like that. It's an exercise. It's an exercise to train your mind so that you don't go into that dark hole of depression and despair, which will secrete hormones into your brain and actually make you less productive and less valuable at the, at, in the long run. Well, and it's also, you know, like what you look for, you will find. So yeah. if you say, okay, I'm going to start seeing this as a collaborative work environment where we're all trying to achieve the same goals, then you're going to start to recognize those examples that prove that. And you're going to be more likely to seek them out and more likely to say to the naysayer over here, whoa, hey, hold on. Hey, we've got a great thing going on here. <laughs> Come on board with us. <laughs> exactly. It's that little thing is like we've heard so much uh, recently about unconscious bias, but there is like hundreds and hundreds of different biases. And one of them that you were just touching on is that confirmation bias, because our brain will confirm what we are expecting it to see. And if we are expecting something to be negative, like you're saying, that's what we see is confirmation. Oh yeah, there's all that negative. But if you go in expecting things to be positive, you start seeing the positive. 
just like you see all of the blue cars when you're looking for a blue car or having right. just lost a blue car. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I know my husband always laughs at me because uh, when I moved to Philadelphia nine years ago, shortly after we were here, we sold my big SUV that I brought from the other side of the country. And I had a big SUV. It was a Chrysler um, uh, Aspen. And they made like, I don't know, 47 of them. But I see them everywhere. Now, I don't see them as much anymore. And he's like, would you, you know, after we sold it, he's like, would you stop? I'm like, there's a rust colored one. There's a pink one. There's, he's like, stop. There's only 47 in the entire planet. They can't all be here. Quit looking for them. <laughs> okay, quick time out. I did not know you were in Philadelphia. That's my hometown. Oh, well, very good. I was born and bred. Where are you? Uh, I'm a transplant. I live just a couple blocks from the art museum. Oh my gosh. I know. Oh my gosh. I used to go folk dancing on the art museum steps during high school. Oh my gosh. How great. <laughs> <laughs> and where do you live right now? In the city or I live in New York outside? City in the, uh, oh. in the village. Oh, very in good. The, around Union Square actually, between the, uh, Union Square, Chelsea and the village. That's where I am. Love that area. Love yeah. that area plan to get back there one of these days, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a great area in Philadelphia where you are too. It is. It's, you know, it's, it's amazing too, you know, I'm looking forward to when life, you know, starts turning again in a way that maybe not what we saw as normal, but, you know, something that is new and different, but still with the elements of, you know, a city where, you know, you gain energy by yeah. the energy of a city and you gain yeah. that energy from people that you're constantly around. And it's, right. it's very different. I had never known anything like it until I moved here nine years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. let me ask you then, mm -hmm. when you are working with your clients, so whether it's, you know, a large group of people or it's a, you know, an individual session or you're working with a small, you know, group within a, a company, you know, what are, when they're trying to deal with these, uh, you know, new ways of thinking and communicating and really trying to connect, especially during, you know, challenging times, what are the three biggest obstacles that, that you kind of, that you see in them frequently that you help them to overcome or to recognize? Yeah. One of the, um, the big ones is forgetting or not knowing or not understanding that we all have completely different communication styles and that we all have different needs when it comes to the way we communicate, what we get from communicate and how we interact and create relationships. And so that is the, at the bottom of almost all of the issues around connecting and coping. I mean, well, more like the connecting and communicating because um, for example, some people need to feel important and that is the top most priority need that they have. And mm -hmm. so status and feeling important is extremely important to them. So that if they're in a, in a Zoom meeting, for instance, and they sign on and nobody says hello to them or nobody says their name for the first five to 10 minutes, they are going to, and, and people have, we've done brain scans, we've done like I'm a scientist, I'm not, they've done <laughs> brain scans about what that does when people feel like they're not involved. It's almost the same as like death. It's like, it feels like they're dying. So those kind of things will, and then that creates a disconnect and a resentment 
around everybody at work because they need, they have that need. It's just like, mm -hmm. you can't judge it. It just is. And then some other people have a really strong need for clarity. And so when things are just sort of come see, come saw, and we'll, we'll get it this way or we'll get it tomorrow. Well, yeah, don't, don't worry, it'll happen. Yeah, they go bonkers. You know, it's like their, you know, their whole system starts working overtime to just try to figure things out. So then they're not gonna be that productive. So what I want, to, what I do with people is get people to understand where they are in this spectrum, where their colleagues are in that spectrum, and then I give them tips and techniques to use so that their communication gets through, you know, so that they get heard in the way that they intend to get heard um, and not start beating their heads against a, a wall or judging the other person for not being able to understand them. And that's, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people lately where we've been talking about generational differences and not necessarily, I mean, there are some generational differences, but, you know, I think my common theme is constantly, you can also have a thousand million, whatever differences between people in one generation. Exactly. So, exactly. you know, when we try and label one group as X, as Y, and I'm, gosh, I mean, like A or B or C, not X and Y, because we do label them X and Y. Yeah, we do label them. <laughs> <laughs> but when we try and say all millennials are this way or all baby yeah. boomers are that way or all Gen X's are this way, we, we still, it's so short-sighted because within yeah. that we have so many varieties of who we are. So many, so many. And it's like, and, and it's, um, it's not sure, like it's part nature, it's part in our DNA, it's part nurture, how we were raised, but we yeah. all come out with different priorities and different preferences in the way that we get and take in information. And it really goes across generations, it goes across races, it goes across gender. And yes. so we, it's really important to understand those nuances. Some of the other stuff does come into play, but those nuances, and, and, and when I really um, realized that is I started off a, a while back teaching English as a second language. So okay. I would have classrooms full of Russians, Koreans, um, Japanese, Latin Americans, and they all had the same types within those nationalities, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I could really say, it's like, wow, it doesn't really matter what nationality you are. You're going to, you, you break out into different communication styles according to the styles, not according to your race or gender. And what you just, you said something too, you've said it twice in a couple different ways about, you know, and it's not, if, if that, if that person needs a, a lot of, you know, pats on the back or that person is uncertain, it's not good or bad. It right. is just them. You may not like it. Right. You may not like that person who right. has a lot of ego issues. Yeah. I don't care and for it, those people. Yeah. And it could be a but, pain in the neck. And a mm -hmm. lot of, and the pushback that I get sometimes is like, well, why do I have to change? <laughs> to get my message to them. I love what that I question. Like to say, it's like, that's your choice. You know, you, do you want to be effective or do you want to be right? And does that mean you are the jerk? Yeah. <laughs> I, know. I know. I know. It all starts. I mean, it all starts with you. I was listening to a podcast recently and this woman has written a book about how negotiating starts with you. 
-hmm. know, and it's like, it, it's, it's all about you. And we, we do have a choice. You can, it's perfectly fine. I'm not going to say anything about you. If you decide to say, I'm not feeding that person's ego. Right. That's perfectly your right. However, if you need a performance from that person, if you need some information or from strategies or something from that person, it might behoove you to figure out a way to get your communication in a way that it can be understood. I like to use analogies a lot. It's like, it's like, so it's like you want to prepare your communication so that it can be digested. And just mm -hmm. like you have, a, if you were feeding a three month old baby steak, you would not just cut off the big piece of steak and shove it down their mouth because you would kill right. the baby. Right. However, you know, if you really, really believe that steak is going to be good for them, you would find a way to put it into a form. You would pound it, you would grind it, you would um, make it liquefied. Yep. So that yep. they can get the nutrients that they need and that you want them to have. And that's how I feel about communication. How can you prepare your communication so that it goes down easy, so that it's nourishing to your listener and that it gets to the results that you desire? Right. And like digestible bites until they yeah. can handle more, until they yeah. can handle, you know, yeah. chewing but it on their own. Exactly. Wow, I like that analogy. Yeah. Okay, so I, I let me throw one at you because I was just talking with uh, with someone about a colleague of his, and uh, this colleague definitely has the ego issue, and this colleague has also been um, has been uh, you know put into a performance plan mm -hmm. for lack of performance. This person does not perform well, but mm -hmm. the uh, company is not one that tends to let people go. So even though this person has completed all this they're still a jerk. And, uh, and this person's favorite thing is instead of seeing, you know, what's going on in his department and recognizing that and fixing it, he likes to get in big meetings and point out everybody else's faults. And so this person I was talking to, I was like, you know, I've been giving him some advice, some thoughts along the way. But, you know, as we were talking about it, I thought, you know, I don't know. I just want to go in and fire the guy for you guys. <laughs> just bring me in. I'll do it. Yeah. There's, I mean, how do you, how would you suggest yeah, dealing that, with that? That comes up a lot. And it's like, and so when you know that style, what you then want to do is use it to your advantage. Um, and you start off as like, I have this process called my love formula. You want to listen because usually when people are acting out like that, you want to listen to what need is not being met. And Ooh. apparently that person's need is that he needs to be the center of attention. He needs a lot of gratification. He needs a lot of acknowledgement. So you listen for that. Then you understand, you, you, you say something, you do something that shows that you understand where that person is coming from. And then the third piece is that you validate a little piece. And I know that that's the part that people like, oh no, they're completely wrong. That's you the part they choke on. You know, to validate somebody doesn't mean that you're making them right. You validate a piece of what it is. And then using and and not but, you express a differing opinion or you ask a question. And so the E is for express and or explore. And so the love formula would be in that instance, your listeners like, it's like, oh, wow. It sounds like you're really, it, it sounds like you're upset about some of the performance issues that you're that you're hearing. 
it's really astute of you to notice some of this stuff. So you're feeding the ego and bringing it up in a meeting like this is not, is I don't believe is the most beneficial way. And it doesn't particularly make it, make it look good on your side. So, um, you know, so, so this is, this is, you probably wouldn't do that in the meeting. I would do it mm -hmm. after the meeting because then you, that would stir up. But what you've done is like, you've acknowledged everything. You listen, it's like, you, like, yeah, it sounds like you really have great standards of what you believe this company should be about, or what you believe this process should be about. I understand that. I agree with you. And, and you're right. Some of the standards are not up to the way that I would like to see that. And when it comes out in a meeting like this, it doesn't really show you in your best light because it, ah. it can sound like you're complaining or you're, you're, you're boasting. And it's like, and I know that that's not what you want. You know, I know that's not so, what you want to be viewed. Yeah. Yeah. Or then you can take that last piece and ask a question. I'm wondering when you bring it up in a large meeting like that, how it looks to some of the stakeholders who really honor the, the collaboration in our department. Mm. No, and then you just leave it like because the question is a great way because it doesn't make people as defensive it and and then it creates it causes the other person to really think about an answer to that they may not give it to you they may get defensive at first but then that answer is like still ringing in their heads yeah how does that make me look how does that and you know so the thing is they think that it makes them look fantastic and smart but if you mm -hmm. start planting a little bit of another thing in their heads, they may start to see it differently. You know, so it's like little conversations like that, which it takes a lot of swallowing on your yep. part and it takes a lot of grounding so that you're not being judgmental within the conversation because people can pick up on the tone or the, the way that the word choice and you always want to um, avoid using words like always or whenever and all those mm -hmm. inflammatory words and you want to avoid using the word but because that negates everything that started before exactly. and so having all of that conversation might make an impact and at the time and in the moment when it's happening I would then do something like interrupt like wow that's really interesting that you would say something like that about our our progress or our performance and then you bridge it to where you want the conversation to go um, yeah mm -hmm. you know, and i feel like so many times people are afraid of interrupting bullies like that and just give them too much of the floor the way to interrupt them is to acknowledge something that they said mm -hmm. you know so you're jumping in because that's going to already calm down some of that cortisol stress my and think, oh, well, this is my buddy. I'm going to be poor there. Get me. Then you turn it right into it. It's like, wow, that's really interesting what you said about this other department. I, I really understand. I'm, uh, I understand. I'm not quite sure why it's brought up at this meeting. I'm wondering mm -hmm. if it can be tabled because what I find really important and what is on the agenda is this. I love that. I love your love. I was taking notes as you were talking. <laughs> Love my love. I love your love. Yes, love, love I think. Baby. 
I love it so much. It reminds me of what I used to teach people in terms of what I call the art of polite interruption. Uh, so, yeah. and I talk about it and, you know, okay, you're leading a meeting and somebody, you know, starts going off and they're on a tangent and you don't, you know, I was talking to people who weren't comfortable training and I'm like, so that's when you wait, you got to listen for right, the right thing. And then you go, wait, stop right there. What you just said <laughs> was incredible. Because yes, then they go, I love that. and then they think, well, what did I say? How incredible. So then their mind's going backwards. So they've stopped talking. And then you go, so when you just said this X, Y, Z, and then you turn away from them to the rest of the room and say, see that, how that validates what we're talking about. And then you just keep talking. And then they're going, I'm so smart. Look <laughs> oh, at me. I love that. I love, love, love that. Yes. And they never know they were interrupted, but. Right, right, you know, right. But they tend not to, uh, you know, go on very much because they're like, wait, what am I going to be up front again? So yeah, 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 exactly. Because this is exactly what you're doing. The need is for status. And that's what you're giving them. The need is yes. to feel important. And that's what you've done. You've made them feel important. And that's, you know, that need is, is when that need is met, it's like, oh, wow, that's cool. Until the next time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So um, I have to, before I ask you a little bit more business, I have to dive in just real quick because, uh, you know, we talked, chatted a little bit before we, uh, we uh, started taping and I'm a, you know, not, there's hardly any uh, daytime television soap operas. I still call them soap operas, daytime dramas on anymore. Um, and I don't have time to watch them, but uh, I know you participated in two of my favorites. So One Life to Live and, and all my children were my top two favorite, except for General Hospital. I got those in there. Now, every once in a while, if I need a break at 1.30, I might go up and watch something else for 30 minutes, but <laughs> not really. I don't have time. But how did you, tell me how you got involved in that, because you said you did some acting, but you did a lot of writing. So how, how did that come about, and how, how has that impacted your career? Huh, interesting. Well, you know, I wrote a screenplay way back when, and um, my screenplay found an agent that agent was contacted by ABC Daytime looking for a, a group of people to meant to bring into the soap world. And so um, I was one of those people chosen based on my screenplay. And we had, uh, it was like a developmental pro development program. So we had two years of learning and then I was placed on the um, script writing side for all, uh, what, no, first I was doing the breakdown, which is the outline. It's like more information you need to know. That could be another show about how sopas are written. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I was doing the outline for One Life to Live, and then I also did scripts for one, um, all my children. Aww. So yeah, so how it's impacted, the, it, that was what was interesting because when, when you're writing for soaps, you're writing for every character, uh, each day, you know, so you have one day, you're assigned a day. And so you have to create the dialogue if you're writing script for the day, or you have to create the actions if you're writing the breakdown for the day. And so it really makes you think, and that's how, like with, for my book, Standing of Ace and Presentations, I developed what I call my own communication style assessment called actor types because you, and I use nine different actor types that you see on television and the soaps, of course, it's like you've got the hero and you've got the villain, you've got the buddy, 
got the whiz kid and you've got the um, superhero, all of those types. And writing for the soaps, it made me realize how different each of those types are. You know, it started with my teaching ESL, English as a Second Language, how I realized how different people were. But then in the soaps, you realize, okay, this is the ingenue. The ingenue would say it like this. She's the villain. I have to do it like this is the villain. That's the way the villain writes. So it's like, so it totally informs me. And when I work with individuals, I don't pigeonhole them, but I get to see what their style is, what their type is. And I try not to just to go away from type. I don't want to change anybody. I don't want anybody to change who they are. But if something is working for you, let's bring out the best of that so that it works mm -hmm. even better for you. And if something isn't working for you, then how do we mitigate the fatal flaws is what I call the, the, the of your communication style of your actor type. So mitigate those fatal flaws of your actor type so that you can be stronger and more in your potential. Wow, that I, wow. I mean, I, I have so many questions. <laughs> my, first, my first question is, I had no idea you would write for one whole day's scripts for every character. <laughs> right. That has to feel schizophrenic. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, because, that's not even, I mean, that, trust me, like, because having written screenplays and, and things like that, that's not the hardest part. This most schizophrenic part is the fact that you are writing a day of action that hasn't happened yet. And you're on the television, you're, you need to watch what happened two weeks ago. And at the same time, we're getting sent scripts of what happened last week. In between. Yeah. So Goodness. there are like three different time zones that you have to keep up with to figure out what this person can say in the week that you're writing, which has been impacted by what's on TV and what was written and what will be on TV next week. So it's really <laughs> fascinating. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> I always, I always thought it'd be really fun just to go in the back and watch, you know, watch a whole day of taping because I know the days of taping are are extraordinarily long as well. Yeah, yeah, the taping and there's like the writers never really even interact with the actors, so it's like the writers have their own writers room. When I was writing scripts, you never even went into the office; you just did everything wow. online and sent it in. And as an actor, yeah, those are really long days because um, you have very short rehearsals then the stars go away and the understudies come in <laughs> or the stand-ins come in and then maybe and then wow boom. i have no idea oh my god there's yeah. a whole a whole lot of people involved <laughs> jeez and all the cell soap uh, detergent at one point in time literally <laughs> i know right how well that <laughs> so you know whether it's that or other parts of your professional career when you look back What's the greatest, or at least one of probably, there's probably many, but one of the greatest, um, you know, lessons that you learned along the way that really helped you to shock your own potential? Yeah, it's interesting. One of the lessons I learned, I guess the most recent one, is when I decided to become a member of National Speakers Association. 
because, you know, I'd been doing professional speaking and training and coaching and I thought I was a cat's pajamas and I didn't need, you know, why would I need an association of fellow speakers? And I would go to meetings and I would think, oh, yeah, I don't need that. And then I would go, like, two months would go by and go to another meeting. It's like, oh, I don't need that. And then um, something, like, shifted and maybe the population shifted a little bit. And I went to a meeting. I thought, oh, wow, these are really interesting people. What would happen if I just tried it out for a minute? And what it did was it got me so much more connected to people who are even so much more beyond where I was mm -hmm. and to be able to learn from them, not just like they wouldn't, it's not like they wouldn't taught me anything necessarily, but to see how other speakers were and how they manage their business and to learn the other possibilities, learn what didn't work, learn that does work. And the community is extremely generous about information and sharing and and all of that. So that really shocked me in the fact that, yeah, you can hang out with people who you are potentially in competition with mm -hmm. and still be able to reach your potential. And since doing that, I really feel like my, my business has grown. My confidence has grown. So much has grown from just becoming a member there. And the other funny thing, the, the, the one thing, and I actually talk about this in my keynote, like what, one of the business decisions that at the moment I didn't know was a business decision that started my potential was in the agreeing to run for the PTA when my son was in grade school. Oh my. <laughs> because I feel like without the PTA, I would not be where I am today because the PTA, um, first of all, I was coerced into being on the board. Then I was coerced. I was able to see my leadership potential on the PTA. Then they coerced me into running for president. So then I had to be president of the PTA for two years. And as president, like it was, and this was a while ago, I'm dating myself, but you know, I didn't know, like as an actor before mm -hmm. that, or just a speaker and actor, I didn't know that much about, I didn't need to know that much about computers. I didn't need to know about like CRMs or organi organizing this or leading people or all of that, writing newsletters, all of those things. I started knowing about and on the PTA. The fact that I was a really good leader was news to me and I learned it through the PTA. So I feel like, you know, it's like, it sounds bizarre, but for anybody who else who's out there is listening and wondering how, you know, if you're just sitting around, volunteer for something, because I mm -hmm. guarantee you, it's going to teach you a lot. And that's the other thing. I'm on the board of, of National Speakers Association, which just being a member doesn't really get you as far as being on the board and volunteering and giving your time. So absolutely, my plug for volunteerism. Absolutely. I love it. I, and it's so true. You know, you, when you are put in situations that, especially as you said in the beginning, I kind of got rustled into it. <laughs> then I got pushed into running. <laughs> but once you're there and you see not only what you can achieve, but how much those, those opportunities really um, allow you to grow. It's, yeah. it's substantial when you're looking for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's a perfect tie into the name of your show. It really shocked my potential. I mean, it's like, you know, 
I had no idea. Excellent. Excellent. Well, goodness, I can't believe we're almost out of time and we'll have all of your contact information on the show notes, but just in case somebody wants to type right now and look you up, what's the best way for them to find you? Go to my website, Robin with the Y, robinhatcher.com. Robinhatcher.com is the best way to find anything you want to know about me. Resources on the resources page, videos, all of that. And um, if you want to reach out and follow me, LinkedIn is my platform of choice. So Mm -hmm. you can find me on LinkedIn under Robin Hatcher. Wonderful. So before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? (sighs) Get clear of your fear, which is your failure to envision an alternate reality. Mm -hmm. And also what I also like to say is, is, make sure of how you're being perceived because how you are perceived is how you are received which impacts what you can achieve and so the two things that i like to do is help people bring out their potential by seeing a new vision and make sure that the perception that is out there is one that you want to give mm-hmm. um, and I have a membership community if anybody wants to get even closer with me. Um, just find it under the coaching section on my website and join the membership. Excellent. Oh, Robin, thank you. You've shared a lot. Obviously, I took notes as we went along. Can't re- wait to call my friend back and say, okay, I've got it for the next zinger <laughs> when you're in a meeting this happens. So. Give them some love. <laughs> just, just, put them, just surround them with love. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Robin. It has been a pleasure having you, and I'm so glad we are connected. Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and like our podcast. And for more information, find us at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com.